This morning, I want to share with you an overview of the entire history of the cosmos. From the beginning of time to the end, all of history in the next few minutes. This is going to be one of the more exciting times of growth. I've provided sermon notes for you, a timeline. I invite you to fill in the timeline in the next few minutes. We're looking at the flow of God moving in all history. Why? Because as we read the Bible, we need to understand that the Almighty God is moving with intention, with purpose, from the beginning to the final culmination of things. This simply, very simple timeline will help you understand where any part of the scriptures that you are reading fits into the total story, the overall scheme. So look with me at Psalm 119, verse 105. Please read it with me together out loud. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. This is a statement about God's word, what God's word does for us, how God's word helps us. Now, when the psalmist is writing this, he's talking about really a lantern, a rather dim light that lights only a few short distance. Have you seen those million camp power lamps that kind of almost blow you over when you turn them on? The light shoots out hundreds of feet. God's word will guide you. It's reliable for the next steps as you daily walk humbly with God. This is what the Bible says. This is what God wants. Walk humbly with God, step by step. God's word is a lamp to my feet. So in your notes, number one, in the beginning is creation. We're going to begin with in the beginning, looking at Genesis 1, verse 1. In the, in the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. That's all creation was perfect. God places the Adam, the man, and union of flesh and spirit, Adam and Eve, in this garden. They walk with God. We don't know how long. Maybe they were righteous and faithful for hundreds of years before they even went, out their, went their own way against God's will. Then in number two in your notes, the temptation, when they set out to set their will against God's will. They said, God, we don't want to follow you. We want our own way. There was the apple or the pear, and the serpent tempted them to eat the forbidden fruit. They said, we're going to be our own boss. We're going to choose our own path. That choice and that temptation of Adam and Eve created a tremendous gap. Cosmic falling away from intimacy with God. Then number three is the fall. How many of you are okay with us so far? Creation, temptation, and then the fall. Every time you choose against God's will, there's a distance, there's a gap. You might ask, how can that be? God is everywhere. God loves me. How can there be a gap? Have you ever been in the same car with your spouse or with your kids, and you feel that they are somehow miles away from you? There is a gap between you and them. Now, don't raise your hand if, I, if you feel that way. If there's a gap, if there's no intimacy, 
you have transgressed and violated the relationship. There is a distance in our relationship with God. We should not be surprised that when we choose against God's will, and you know what God's will is, and there's a gap, a distance in your intimacy with God. Some of you are now distant from God, this fall of man into sin. A choosing against God's will creates a gap. This fallen world chooses sin continuously. Number four in your notes, the flood. The whole world becomes so corrupt that God sends a flood. He calls to Noah. Whoever comes into God's ark is saved. God says, whoever gets in my ark, my vehicle of safety, my vehicle of salvation will be saved. For those who mock God's salvation will not be saved. People often question how God can be so narrow-minded. Only in Jesus have we salvation. But God gives freely. He gives freely the way. He gives us his way. The great miracle is that we have any ship of salvation at all. God provides for a lost and rebellious world a way of salvation. See, people often mock God's way. They mock Noah. The flood comes and only those on the ark are saved. Then number five in your notes, that's the tower. Shortly after this great salvation event, the people multiply and they decide to build a great tower into the skies. And so we ourselves will be great, they say. This is the tower of Babel or the tower of Babel because the people end up just babbling. God looks down at their project, kind of a little humor there. It's a great giant project they have, but God still has to what? Look down to see them. God confuses their language then, scatters the people all over the earth. Number six in your notes. This gets exciting now. God calls a man named Abram. This is the first of three patriarchs, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the great patriarchs of the Old Testament. So God is going to use these men to lead his people to become a great nation. Through Abraham, have you heard of him? Sure you have. His name is still great even today. God begins to shape a people through these three men. And Jacob has now some very dysfunctional parenting strategies that he's using. So look at number seven, Joseph. With all of these 12 boys, and with Joseph being a favorite son, there are problems. Joseph has some dreams about making a difference in the world. His dreams, however, create division among his brothers. Joseph tells his older brothers how they will all be bowing down to him, which did not win friends and influence people right away. The brothers begin to hate Joseph. They sold him into slavery. Joseph's story is one of great faithfulness and no matter what the trial he was going through, God continued to bless him. He became a leader in Egypt. He was the right hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. He in interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. About seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Number eight in your notes. We have Jacob's family. Moves to, he, he, he moves them to Egypt. The brothers are afraid of Joseph, though. Or what did they did for him? 
Just look at Genesis 50, verse 20. Please read that verse with me together out loud. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. During this famine, Joseph brings his family to Egypt. What a heart Joseph has. His brothers sold him into slavery. He was good as dead in their eyes, but he saved them with a new life and new land. Then number nine, Joseph's family is enslaved. Pharaoh, who loved Joseph, died. And new Pharaoh enslaved Jacob's family. Under the new Pharaoh, the Israelites are enslaved now for 400 years. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Then number 10 in your notes is Moses. God calls Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And Moses does these ten plagues, and the people of God went free and headed towards the promised land. But number 11 in your notes, the wilderness. The children of Israel did not go directly into the promised land because of their disobedience. So the wilderness becomes a time of testing for 40 years. They needed a time of learning to identify themselves as the people of God, a time to learn to live by the laws of God. They were formed into a nation, and Joshua leads them into the promised land. Then number 12, the promised land is a time of the judges. The period of judges was a time when God provided leadership by calling up special people, men and women, to defeat the nations that threatened them. The judges protected God's people in the promised land from their enemies, and and they interpreted the law of God for the people. But most of you could have written that part of the sermon yourselves. You know the history of God's activity, the history of the human race from this point. This is such a simple timeline. But then look at number 13 in your notes, the kings. The people of God said they did not want judges like anybody else. They wanted to have kings like other nations do. God said that he was their king. He wanted them to follow him. But the people wanted to have a king that they could see. God said, no, you don't. People said, yes, we do. God said, no. People said, yes. Finally, God did give them what they asked for, even if it wasn't their best interest for them. We need to take a warning here. We need to be careful what we ask for. We want a king. We just want a king. Saul, he became their warrior king. God's glory returned to his people. While the kings were obedient, David was the second king. He was the greatest king after God's own heart. Then there was Solomon. Solomon was half-hearted, though, in his faithfulness. Now, if a person comes to you and says, "I I want to marry you, I love you. You are so precious to me. And I promise I will be faithful half the time. What are you going to do? You're going to run? Nobody wants half-hearted devotion. God does not deserve half-hearted devotion either. Solomon is so brilliant in his mind, yet he's half-hearted in his heart and commitment to God. He has hundreds of concubines wise, political alliances. Solomon begins to tax God's people 
so that he can use their tax money to build temples to their false gods, to his pagan wives. The kingdom of God now becomes half-hearted in its devotion. They're no longer doing the right thing. Number 14 in your notes is the exile. After Solomon, the kingdom is a mess. The kingdom is divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Some of the Assyrians capture the northern kingdom and take them into exile. Later, the nation of Babylon captures the southern kingdom. So Jerusalem falls and they take them into exile. The people have turned their backs on God. And God will now allow the judgment of his people from his enemies, from without, because of the corruption within. There were 10 tribes of the northern that are lost. Two tribes of the southern are lost. This exile lasts for 70 years in Babylon. 15 in your notes, there's a remnant left. A small remnant of God's people was held together. During this Babylonian exile, a small group held together around the study of God's word. They held on to their faith. They did not abandon God. A miracle of God gave favor to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls and the temple. So look at what Nehemiah 2 verse 17 says. Please read it with me together out loud. You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. This return began under Nehemiah. It is one of the greatest leadership ministries in the history of God's people. They established the holy city of God, and then they waited. They waited. Number 16 in your notes, there were silence. There was no word from God for his people. It was a period of just waiting. There was 400 years of silence. Then 17 in your notes, angels. There were angels who appeared to shepherds in the fields. Angels said, shepherds, unto you is born this day a savior. The prophets had been telling the children of God all through history that one day Messiah would come. One day a savior would come. He would save his people. And Jesus came. Number 18 in your notes. Jesus is born in Bethlehem as foretold by the prophet. Jesus leads a sinless life for 33 years. Jesus calls his disciples at the age of 30. And he went public with his ministry. The son of God said, follow me. And they did. And then number 19 in your notes. This is his teaching ministry. Jesus taught like no one else had ever taught before because he was the son of God. Jesus did miracles and wonders because he was the son of God. For three years we have the teaching and the healing ministries of Jesus. The blind can see. The deaf could hear. The lame could walk. It was God in the flesh. Then 20 in your notes is the crucifixion. After three years of public ministry, Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The Jewish religious leaders held a mock trial, arranged for the crucifixion of the Son of God. Men crucified Jesus, God's Son, the Savior of the world. 
the one who had come to pay for their sins. Then 21, in your notes, is redemption. God watched as they nailed his son to the cross. God's son was without sin, without blame. He died on the cross. Jesus' death paid for our redemption from sin. Jesus was our sacrifice for sin. Then they took his body down from the cross. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 8, where Paul writes, It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. 22 in your notes, the tomb. The story continues at the tomb. Christ's body was prepared for burial, was sealed in an unused tomb of Joseph Arimathea. That was that, the history of God's people, long awaited for Messiah, came to an end. But however, there's more to this. Number 23 in your notes is the resurrection. God raised Jesus Christ, his son, from the dead. And because Jesus arose from the dead, we celebrate resurrection every Easter. We celebrate his resurrection on the first day of every week by worshiping together. The Father raised his son from the tomb. Jesus appeared to his disciples many times. Many times he ate with them, talked with them. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am preparing the way for you if you just trust in me. So Jesus said, trust in the price that I paid for on the cross for your sins. Then the Gospels were written, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. The number 24 in your notes, the Great Commission. These Gospels climaxed 40 days after the resurrection when Jesus, at his ascension, gives the Great Commission to his disciples. Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world, teach them what they taught and baptize them. And I will be with you, he says. But Jesus first tells the disciples to wait, to go into Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Then number 25, Pentecost. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit into his church. Pentecost is what we call the birthday of the Christian church. The power of the life and life of God's spirit comes to all believers. Then 26 in your notes is mission and ministry. We are living today in the season of mission and ministry where the gospel of Jesus is shared with the world, where unbelievers are reached in Jesus' name and where the healing ministry of Jesus' love takes place. And 27 in your notes is equipping the saints. The whole purpose of the church then is to equip the saints for mission, for their ministry. People involved in Bible study, in service, on the boards and offices, they equip us for personal ministries. And then finally, number 28, five purposes. We identify with God's timeline, God's continuing activity in his church as it fulfills us five purposes. Number one is worship. Number two is fellowship. Number three is discipleship. Number four is ministries. And number five is mission. This is certainly our assignment from Jesus until he returns. Amen.